podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. The podcast that, like Rangers, doesn't particularly like going away from home. This week on Heart and Hand, a new town, but same old problems. So welcome to Heart and Hand, the Rangers podcast. My name is David Edgar. I am your host and I'm joined this week by two wonderful, wonderful people, which is good. They'll have to be because I'm really, really miserable and angry today. I've woke up in a right funk, um, which I think we can probably put down to the performance yesterday. Will I blame them? Yeah, I will blame them for that. But joining me, the ever wonderful Mr. Alex Staff. Hi there. And the irrepressible Mr. James Forrest. Hello David, don't worry, we're not feeling that much better than you Well I was kind of hoping on you two to, to cheer me up at, at some point I was I was hoping that you two would, would pick me up after oh, a really awful display We can't uh, hide away from it Now those of you who um, are patrons will know that we do an immediate post-match reaction pod on Patreon And then we go and watch the game back And the idea is that you know the, the first one's an emotional response And the second is a more measured response to what we've witnessed So watching that game back was fun And usually you see things that, that you don't Well obviously you see things that you don't see Because during watching the match live you know, You're so caught up in getting the result and whatnot That you don't, don't sort of things I like watching this back We were worse than I thought And I thought we were bad yeah, it wasn't far off that. Yeah, yeah. They they really, as you said, just after the game at the time, if they'd won two, three, four nil, we really couldn't have had any complaints. Uh, just we, we created next to nothing, which was the most disappointing thing about it. Uh, I can come away, you know, we get games where you're going to lose now and again. I get that, and I know we're away records becoming a bit of a thing now, but. I can come away from a game if we've pummeled them and they've just been lucky. Yeah, Hamilton uh, last year, for example. Hamilton last year, for example, where how the feck did we lose that? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's just one of those nights or days or whatever and you just come away and think, right, okay, screw it. But that was, it was as if every single player was, I don't know, collectively on their dabs or something. You know, the energy <laughs> levels were poor. They never looked as though they really wanted to be there, some of them. And it was just like a, a sort of really, really lethargic performance. And, uh, you know, aside from one or two chances, uh, when I watched it back, that I maybe didn't think were quite as good as they were at the time. That's that's about it. And Livingston really did. As much as they gave us the ball, you know, nobody can sit and point to things like possession because Livingston weren't competing that way anyway. No, no. They didn't care. You know, they didn't want the ball. They wanted to win free kicks and give us the exact problems they gave us. And we were lucky only to lose 1-0 in, in many respects. I think what probably stung us all the most, James, is although we can now look back and say, well, actually, there's a bit of a pattern emerging with away games, which we will talk about, I don't think any of us going into that expected that. We expected them to line up that way. Alex spoke about it in his show on the network, that we expected us them to play that way because that's how they play and they're very successful at it and they're doing really well with it but there was no shock in that I, I was taken aback at the paucity of the Rangers performance because after the last few weeks and with players returning to fitness and whatnot, I kind of thought that had, was us fully kicked into gear a little and again as Alex mentioned you can have a day where the result goes wrong you know had we lost that 1-0 
but battered them and their keepers made umpteen great saves and we've hit the post and we've had terrible finishing, then it's a different sort of disappointment. That was a complete and utter failure all over the park. And literally the only player that I would say exempts himself from, or two players exempt themselves from criticism, one is the goalkeeper who didn't do a lot wrong and the other is Ryan Kent, the substitute. The rest of them offered nothing. I think that we all knew how Livingston were going to play. Absolutely right, and Alex absolutely confirmed that, and that came to pass, and quite right too, because it's worked for them so far, and, you know, it was this is a big, big game for them. I still, having watched the game and having looked at it again, I still have no idea what our plan was going into going into the game, which is the problem. I, you know, where are we going four three three? Where are we going with Morelos and Lafferty up top? I I have no clue because we didn't really have any kind of tactical discipline. If you look at, for example, the St Johnston game at Ibrox, it was very clear where our players were playing. You know what their roles were, how we were doing that, but. Against Livingston, we didn't have that at all, and too many guys just looked tired and uninterested almost to an extent as well, which is frankly unforgivable. And I think, you know, we're talking about who who gets pass marks and who doesn't. Frankly, you know, there was no one that even came close to par for me in that in that performance you say McGregor yeah he pulls up one or two saves but there was times where his distribution was just really really off as well and Ryan Kent coming on he gives you something a bit different but yeah apart from that there was no one that put in an acceptable level of performance and to the point where even Livingston not playing at their best they could have still got a result and that's the thing that I think is most galling as well yeah, it was very difficult to explain where it came from. I don't think the manager could either. I think he looked almost shell-shocked in his post-match at the level of performance. I really don't think he saw that one coming either. None of us did. But, Alex, you know, we look, I'm an unabashed Steven Gerrard fan. And I think he is the man for the job and I think he will be a success at Rangers. So this is not to take the criticism that's going to come now and if anyone's listening to extrapolate it into you know oh Edgar said he's, he's rotten after one one defeat he's, he's turned his back on not at all love the guy think he's wonderful but he's a young manager and young managers will make mistakes that's okay we accept that but it means that when they get praised they get criticism for the week they make those mistakes um, the team selection looked a bit off to me I have concerns about Lafferty and Morelos playing together and there were a lot of changes possibly unnecessarily especially at centre back when you're trying to get a settled part in a play I get rotation but you surely need to give people game time to, to get used to each other and get them playing with each other and it did seem a bit unnecessary and then probably the biggest one for me is that he has changed when we go away I think to combat other sides and I think when we went Motherwell we went 3-5-2 and we were so primed for a physical game that we forgot to play football which we're quite good at 
Uh, I thought that against Celtic we changed their tactics. Obviously, there were different circumstances there with Ufa and whatnot. But again, we sat off them. We didn't do what we're good at. And again, yesterday, I thought we were so... so focused on they are physical. We'll match them physically. This is what we'll do. We'll get Kyle Laffey on the side. He's big. And, and, and we didn't go out and do what we do. And that is what annoyed me because I think when this Rangers team I think Villarreal was the absolute epitome of it first half bit overawed spent time chasing them second went we might as well have a go and we got something and don't get me wrong Villarreal being the quality side they are they still made chances but we at least gave them something to think about and that's a, a, a slight concern I have now that that's a few away days where I feel that rather than just go out and say... And look, you obviously have to be aware of the strength of the opposition. You obviously have to brief the players on it. But I think we are setting up differently to try and combat the strength of the opposition. And one, it isn't working. And two, the team that it's actually hurting most, I think, is us. Yeah, so far, yeah. Um, in a couple of the European games, in the second legs, uh, specifically Maribor away, it worked. Um, but that was a very different job. You're there just not to lose by two goals. That's you know very very different to any normal sort of game. So that I'm with you on this. The team needs to be given an away match, kind of like Kilmarnock, um, and a lot like the Aberdeen game where we're very unlucky not to win. Obviously screwed by the red card, uh, where they're just kind of taking off the leash a little bit and letting go play the way that they play at home. It's not they've not done it in the other ones and it's no coincidence that that's the ones where we've, we're dropping points and, and not playing well I don't want to see Lafferty and Morello start together again for the rest of the season if it does happen I hope they prove me wrong I was wanting them to prove me wrong yesterday I don't think it works there's just something I think you need to make too many changes in the rest of the team and our style to get the best out of either of them um, and I don't think it works and I think that if the league is a if Gerard's prioritising the league, which he has said he is, Ryan Kent, our best player since international break, should have been rested against their United and played yesterday, mm. surely. Yeah. That, that, would have, that would have felt a bit... Mm. Because with Candias there, you know, and you could have put Candias in because Kent was largely playing on the right-hand side against their United. You could have just put Candias in there, no disrespect to United, but... You know, that's what you could, you could have Candace and rested him for yesterday and had Kent on the park if you were going to do that. Now, I'm not saying that one player would have made a difference, but it's just those little things that you start to think, are we overthinking this now? Are we starting to, just starting to become more complicated than it needs to be? Uh, but I think our next away game is Hamilton, am mm, I right? Yeah. Saying in the league? Yes, you are. If, if we go out there and try something completely different again, I'm going to start to get very worried. That's a team that they play in, a, play in a way that we can just go and have a go at them. The pitch will be a bit of an issue, it always will be. You just have to deal with that. But surely, but, but at that point now, well, surely some of the players have got to be turning to Gerard and saying, just just let us play in these games. Just just let us go and, and see what we can do. And I know it's not just him, I know it's a management team and guys like Michael Beale need to take some responsibility. But surely at some point the players are going to have to say, Gaffer, just frees up a bit. If it doesn't work, then he gets. Then he's got the justification to turn around and say, "Well, I told you, and I need to make these changes to get results." But right now, he's—I don't think that's the position we're in. So, so yeah, it's, it's frustration. I don't mind the rotation of the players so much because I think there's a quality there, uh, and 
I know that the players just didn't show up, so it's kind of maybe a little bit harsh just to focus on the manager that way, but uh, it does start to become a bit of a pattern, definitely. Oh, I'm not exempting the players, don't you worry about that, um, but we will come to them. I feel a bit hypocritical, James, because when Warburton was there, one of my big complaints was he never changes, it's always the same thing, but that was partly because he never changes and it isn't working. It is working and yet we're changing. And when we change, it doesn't work. So that's why I'm saying that maybe we should look at, just for a wee bit, focusing on what we can do as opposed to focusing on what the opposition do. Uh, I think that the players at the moment are maybe so concerned with what they need to do in relation to the opposition when they're away from home that they're not doing what they do naturally at home. I feel that we're kind of doing things the opposite way around. Almost to an extent because the home games, we seem so comfortable at home. All the players that we have, very comfortable at Ibrox. And, you know, if you're wanting to, if you're wanting to maybe try one or two other things, then that would be the time to do it. Clearly, there seems to be a, a mentality issue to an extent. And not just with the players, maybe with the entire squad that kind of feels like away games, it seems to be an issue. So play the strongest team that you have for those games. You know, if, if we were to look at what's the strongest setup that we've had so far this season, it's the 4 5 1, or, or the kind of 4 3 3, probably closer to, to that, where you've got Kent and Kandias out wide with uh, Morelos or Lafferty as the lone striker. You've got a holding midfielder, whether that be Ryan Jack or Andy Halliday or Ross McCrory, and then a combination of Arfield, Koulibaly, and Ajari a bit making up the rest of that midfield. You know, it. Playing Koulibaly, Ajari and Arfield yesterday is almost, not quite as bad, but almost as bad as Morelos and Lafferty up top. Kind of with what Alex was saying, I don't want to see that because I think Koulibaly being asked to do that job, which has been performed by guys like Andy Halliday and McCrory in recent weeks, I think he's a slightly different kind of player. And I think we need someone that's got a bit more of that discipline to play that holding role. Koulibaly is a very good midfielder when he's, when he's on his game. And when he's that kind of playing almost that covering for Tav, but then playing that box to box role, I think he's really, really good. But then you need to you need to look at the opposition and say, right, what do we what do we do in terms of is it better to have an Ajaria who can keep the ball at his feet really, really well and dribble past guys, no no issue at all, he's never phased, or Scott Arfield has got that bit more industry. It's, it's thinking like that, but we just don't there was it was issues with the with the midfield as well as the attack and again I'm not sure what Candias offered that much well I don't know what anyone offered really in, ter- in terms of that but if you're thinking in terms of a a tactical point of view I think there are issues in terms of why are we picking that kind of midfield where you've got maybe a Ross McCroy Ross McCroy's done really well in the last couple of games yeah, he has. if you're having him on the bench. He surely, you surely say, well, he's fit enough to play. So play him, play him in that role. He's done well there. Keep him there, and then, you know, if if you want, you've got someone like Scott Arfield picking a name to come off the bench if you're struggling. You need a beat, wee bit more kind of attacking emphasis in the field. I think that's partly what let us down was we didn't have someone who had that tactical discipline to to play that role as much as what. Well, the last couple of games Ross McCrory has done. It's difficult to focus on individual players, Alex, because they were all bad. So there is a a chance that if we name anyone, people say, oh, you're always picking on him. And I get that. But 
I, I think collectively, and we've you know we've spoken. The manager made mistakes, but then when we went on to the pitch, it it, it continued with the players. That I think they let the pitch spook them. Now that pitch is appalling. It's awful. It's really terrible. And we've moaned about plastic pitches before, but this is a new level, a new depth would probably be the, the more accurate term. Uh, a new low. It's a horrible, dreadful football pitch. It shouldn't be allowed in the top flight. And the argument, the really lazy argument that gets put forward is, well, it's the same for both teams. No, it isn't, because Livingston train on it every single day. So it's clearly an advantage to them, and their home form this season suggests that. But I wonder if the players were, you know, built this up in their head, got onto it, saw what a mess it was, saw the uneven bounce, saw the way the ball ran away from you. And they went into it, if you like, a little bit uncertain and it spooked them totally because they were shadows of themselves to a man. Yeah, they they played within themselves, um, worried about slipping in certain areas or, you know, a bit of miscontrol off the bounce or something like that. And everything became a bit... You know, conservative uh, is probably the best way to put it. Now, I, I didn't have any issues with his being a bit patient on the ball because I felt as though before the game I was worried about just whipping in crosses aimlessly. I just felt as though Livingston would, would like that. And I think that panned out during the game. The amount of crosses that were overhit or they just dealt with without any issues. And even when they were kind of well hit, I think there was maybe only one chance that Ajaria had from a header. From across the, you know, where you thought well, that was a really good chance there. The rest of them, they dealt with no problem. So I didn't have too many issues with his try to be patient on the ball when playing in front of their back four, or back three, I should say, a little bit. But we were far too conservative. There wasn't, there was very, very few times where anybody tried anything a little bit different. Uh, and only when Ryan Kent came on in the second half did anybody have a run at them um, because no one really looked sure about their footing or. Or anything like that. Morelos was dropping really deep rather than playing where he's best, which is up against right, you know, right with back to the defender and, and holding a ball in and linking up play. And yeah, everybody just seemed the whole team, everyone in them just looked as though they were a bit scared of it, a bit scared of making mistakes rather than just going and expressing themselves. And maybe that was the issue overall. Um, you know, as I say, we could talk about tactics, we can talk about various things, but ultimately the players didn't show up. Uh, so, so nothing else really matters if that happens. But uh, yeah, there was just no, no one there to inspire anybody else into anything because no one seemed to want to try and do it. And that, you know, that was probably the most disappointing part. I like this squad, really good mental strength. I believe I'm, I'm not. I'm really disappointed about yesterday and probably even more so today than I was yesterday. But, you know, I know in the bigger picture, I still like, I still believe there's been progress. I do like what I'm seeing from this squad. But yesterday was the first time where I've watched them and thought, wow, where, where's all the leadership that we had? Where's the, where's that fight that we've shown all season? It's the first game that there's just been nothing from them. Um, and hopefully hopefully it's a total blip but I think you're right I think the Jamie Murphy injury talking about the pitch so much and the absolute mess of it saw a lot of them kind of retreat a little bit too many of them at once and that was you just can't can't get away you can carry one or two you can't carry eight or nine No and that that's what we would have had to have done yesterday and that's why when Ryan Kent came on he starts really well for about 20 minutes and then just gets sucked into the 
uh, mediocrity that was that was going on around him because you can't one guy he's not going to change it and it's the same with when people said and I did as well well McCrory maybe should have played or uh, Katic could have could have played even if they'd both played and even if they both played really well the result wouldn't have changed because the the rest of them were so bad that that it wouldn't have mattered. Alex raises an interesting point, James, about Jamie Murphy. That the players all saw what happened on a plastic pitch, a significantly better plastic pitch at Kilmarnock, although we are dealing in levels of suck here rather than it being actually out and out good. But does that subconsciously affect them as they're going onto the field? That maybe they're not, you know, thinking I might get injured on this, but at the back of their mind there's just that wee thing saying if you go full out for a ball, you know, if you stretch yourself on this pitch, you could be looking at six months out. Is it something that clouds judgment? Um it's not impossible. I think that it's something that you guys like Stephen Gerrard and Gallen McCaster maybe should have a word with the players about beforehand and say, listen, that was just a, a freak situation. Um, it's the, the chances of that happening again in, in this game are minuscule, so don't worry about that. Um, but I, I think it's I think it's a fair point to make, though, in terms of we've, we've seen what it can do. It raises the whole thing. The other thing I, I noticed, I don't know whether you guys agree with this or not, but as well as the pitch looking awful, it looked more narrow than maybe what we were used to as well. And that might have been another thing that Livingston have possibly done for us specifically because we, we, we like the kind of sort of wide play and they've almost sort of nullified that to an extent as well. Um, or I might have just been seeing things when I was watching the game. But I think I think what Livingston did is they've, they've really tried to kind of take as much advantage of their pitch situation as they can and it worked for them at the end of the day we've said this before I'm very much an advocate of it should be grass pitches if you're a professional football club um, you know we you know for Livingston to be uh, one of about a quarter of the premiership clubs that have to have a plastic pitch is such a sad indictment on football in this country but as I say that that cannot be an excuse for the lethargic effort that our players put in yesterday. And Livingston did what they needed to do at the end of the day. Yeah, they did. And as we've said, look, this is not a freak result or anything because, well, hopefully in terms of results, it's a freak. But uh, if you watched the match, then Livingston created six golden opportunities and in fact only conceded one really, when Alfredo Morelos got put through and their goalkeeper saved. So they have every right to say we were by far the better side and deserved that win, which is probably what hurts a little bit more. And we can't shy away from that. Uh, I did notice, Alex, now in terms of the, the squad, the players that I saw online that were copying it the most were Worrell, who was very poor, who was very poor, and had replaced someone who was popular in Katic, and Ejaria. And I wondered if perhaps it was that they are loanees and therefore don't quite have the same bond as certain other players have with the fans yet because I look at a game like that and I look to what I would describe as our senior players and I don't just mean that in terms of experience because I think if you look at guys like Tavernier, Goldson, who I love and people who listen to this will know that I love them um, Arfield, Morelos they're the big earners they're the big guys. They're the, the you know the ones that the manager is hanging his hat on, and none of them showed up whatsoever. 
I think I think you're right in terms of Ajaria and Waro. They maybe just don't have the same bond. Ajaria is one of those players that uh, I think he splits opinion anyway. Uh, you know, he's got that kind of style about him. Uh, some guys like it, some guys don't, and it's it, it, just never you'll never convince people one way or the other. Really, uh, Joe Waro hasn't had. He's getting no credit in the bank yet because there's only been a couple of games for him before that one. Uh, even though he's done okay in Villarreal, he's not. He's not, as, as you say, as light as Katic, so he's an easy target. I actually thought that Goldson was every bit as poor as Worrell, if not more so, on the day. Um, neither of them played very well at all. One played well, I suppose, as, as we pointed out. But, uh, but yeah, I think that's the reason why they're kind of focused on. You're right about the senior players, and, and, and that's kind of where I was slightly going with earlier when I was saying no one was there to, to kind of inspire anyone else. We have a young squad. We often forget that. It's easy to forget. It's something that as Rangers fans, especially of our age, that we've not been used to over the years. We've not been used to a young team, a young squad of players who are actually capable of doing well, um, as this lot have shown that they are. So we're, we're kind of used to seeing guys that are a bit more established and can drag us through matches like that. And then when we see these players that are unable to do it because they've not learned how to, I don't think they, you know, I don't think they phoned it in effort-wise. I just think that everything else was horrendous, and effort only gets you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, we've spoken about, and, and Richard Goff mentioned it in the interview with him. If you haven't listened to that yet, then why not? Um, you know, he talks about he was a captain that he felt as though he led by example. If he was as though Tavernier similar, where you'll inspire people through what he does on the pitch rather than grabbing them by the throat and telling them to get the finger out. Um, and he, he he just didn't seem capable of it yesterday. You know, there was very little from him in that respect. Um, other players, no one really done it either. Um, for about 10 minutes of the first half, Arfield looked as though he was going to dominate the game and then he fell out of it. Another, as you say, another one of our senior players in that respect. Morelos just didn't look himself at all from the first minute onwards. Um, Lafferty was poor as well. Another one that you would have maybe looked to to that respect. So, yeah, you can't really have half your team that you're looking at as leaders um, all failing on the same day and expect any sort of performance, can you? No, exactly. And I know that, incidentally, the, the, the pitch faults will be out among certain supporters because there's certain supporters, if you even mention that Morelos was anything less than wonderful, um, will come will come to your door and, and throw eggs at you. Um, but now he is a senior player and that, that's why I class him amongst those and you might say well, he's very young and he's still learning that is true but he is now being paid as one of our top players which deservedly so given his, his value and his international status has just changed and whatnot. but with the big contract comes the big responsibility I feel and you know overall the return from him can be mixed there are games he's brilliant and games he's not uh, and that's something I think the manager will need to look at because, as I say, I, I guarantee you that's already hundreds of hate tweets being being thudded to me about that one. But I do I class him now in the same bracket as a Tavernier, as a Goldson, as a as an Arfield, as these big players, these guys who are on a lot of money. McGregor is another one, you know. Um, that they're the guys who are on the big money. They're the guys that have to take that responsibility and it is just that you know it's like any job the further you go up the chain in football while being a team game there is an unevenness in the way that salaries are assessed your your importance to the side 
is echoed in your remuneration. So I don't think it's unfair to say to him, these are the games you need to turn up. When everyone else isn't, you need to lead by example. But so do Tavernier, so do Goldstone, so do Arfield. These are where we need these guys to produce and inspire the rest of them around there. So just an all-round awful day at the office for Rangers. Really, really bad. Now, the away form, as Alex said, is now a thing, uh, James, that... People are, are pointing out Rangers haven't won an away league match since February. I personally don't place too much stock in the February thing because it's a completely different team. It's a completely different manager. I think the season does reset at, uh, uh, in the summer and when you make the, the amount of changes we've made. But four league games, admittedly with differing situations, Aberdeen, for example, Celtic, for example. But it's now going to be talked about. And until Rangers record that victory it's going to be thrown up in our face. And I don't think it's that they're not capable of it. If you look at Kilmarnock, for example, um, a better side than, than Livingston, I think the season will prove that. Rangers went there and, and took care of them quite handily. So it really just now, as Alex says, we couldn't have asked for a better away trip next. We're off to, to Hamilton, our next away match. They have got to slay this very small but growing dragon. Aye. Um, first of all, on the February thing, you're right, and that's down to the fact that the squad looks so different now to what it did then. So you can't possibly, you know, put that put that in the same bracket. Um, so, but it is, but it is under Steven Gerrard in domestic league games. We've yet to win a game. We've got two points from an available twelve, and it's not good enough. Now, again. We come back to this, and this is a phrase that I like to use a lot. You look at it in the context of the situations. Aberdeen, if we don't switch off in that last minute, then we get a very, very credible three points. You say the same about Motherwell. You understand that the Celtic game, we were not playing well at all in that game, and we'd just come off the back of an away trip in Russia where we were down to nine men for the last 20 minutes or so. Uh, this is the most disappointing one because there's really no excuses that we can offer them now, um, which is why, you know, maybe maybe in previous times we've talked about these, these three other games and said... Ah, you, you know, you, you think about it in that way. There's been things we can take away from that and think, yeah, okay, let's let, let's move on and we can be more confident going to the next game. You don't have that with this one. Um, we were talking about post the most recent international break, we should be winning all the games that we have, including Livingston away. Uh, and the fact that we've not done that is very massively disappointing. What I would say as well is we have to... You know where Livingston are in the league is no coincidence. Joint second, down to the fact that they've actually made a decent start to the season. They've surprised a lot of people in terms of how they have how they have made a start to to their season. Um, we might look back on this season at the end and say actually Livingston away at that part of the season was a tougher fixture from the outset than what we maybe thought it would be. It doesn't excuse it in any way whatsoever, but you know, winning in Hamilton is vital now, absolutely. But it's not like we can't win at any sort of domestic ground in, in Scotland because we did it at Kilmarnock. You know, that's 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 a very important point to make as well on that. And you're right, Kilmarnock over the season I think will be a better side than Livingston. Uh, 
and it's just you know it's it's one of these things where I hope that they now get a right kick up the arse for that for that display and you look forward to the next couple of games now and say win both of them and you say right that was a blip in what has been uh, an up and down start to the season there's been a lot of ups there's unfortunately a few downs to go with that but I don't think we're at the point yet of saying this is going to become a real issue yet losing in Hamilton I think it does do that though um as well, and even if you even without any sort of context or anything like that, that would be a problem. I, I don't think that that will happen, however. All I would say though, as well, is if you looked at the league table from away games, we are third from bottom, St Mirren are bottom, not surprisingly, Celtic are second bottom. So there is that as well, where teams that are playing at home against one of the old firm, it's always going to be their cup finals and they're always going to produce a, a lot more. And I think with some of the players as well, they need to kind of try and realise that a bit more than what they maybe do. And I think some of the sort of senior guys that have been there longer, as you talked about before, they need to drill that into the players that, yes, you're away, but you got to give it that wee bit extra because they really want to get this result here, um, even more so than at Ibrox as well. Yeah, absolutely. James Eunice used to talk about that, where he would say to Walter Smith after an away game, oh, that boy in midfield, we should we should look at signing him. And Walter went, tell you what, come back and watch him in their next game. And he would do so, and he was rubbish. Um, and he said, and it was just, I learned that they performed to a much higher level when Rangers come to town, um, which is understandable. You would expect it happens to every big side in the world, and we're no exception to that. So it's something that you're right, players will have to will have to learn. Two games then coming up. We'll preview one of them just now because obviously we have Heart and Hand Extra later in the week and that'll preview the Hearts game. But Alex, this is the really weird thing after half an hour here or so of that was awful, that was terrible and you know getting stuck into everyone. I am utterly confident that we will win our next two matches. Like, it genuinely, it doesn't occur to me that we won't. I am 100% confident. And that, you know, Hearts playing really, really well. Rapid Vienna, good side. I don't know. I just think Rangers at Ibrox will go out, play good football, and beat them. I can, yeah, you're justified in that confidence. I don't think there's any issue there. Um, I'm not as confident about the Rapid Vienna game as you are. I think we can win it. I'm not so sure we will, if you get what I mean. Uh, the Hearts game, though, I'm really looking forward to that, actually. Uh, but as you say, we'll, we'll talk about that at a later time. Um, obviously, uh, Rapid having you know sacked their manager at the weekend, they seem to be in a little bit of disarray as well. You never know how they're going to react to that. They looked good against Spartak Moscow in the game. I uh, tried to get see as much of that as I could. Um, you know, extended highlights, etc. They, they created a lot of chances. They looked very quick on the break, but they are unlikely to come to Ibrox and sit with ten men behind the ball. And you know, try and make things difficult for us. They're going to come and try and play a bit. And uh, you know, if, as long as our players show up, we seem to enjoy that. So, especially at home. So, yeah, I can see why you're looking forward to it. And it, to be honest, I, I'm just looking forward to you know a good European night. I looks like that again, where they'll try and play whatever. I don't even know what the Europa League theme tune sounds like. It just I haven't consigned it to memory at all. But I wouldn't know what it sounds like after Thursday either, because I won't be able to hear it because the place will be absolutely rocking uh, as, the, as the teams come out. So, yeah, I'm just kind of looking forward to that feeling again more than anything else. Um, we spoke about the, league, the Europa League being a bit of a bonus. It still is. It'd just be lovely to win that one, though, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. And, I mean, it's, it's, 
it's huge. Don't get me wrong, right? And I can't wait. I'm like you, Rangers back, and you know, okay, not the Champions League, but the Europa League's a good staging post on on a way on the way back to that. And big European night at Ibrox, live on TV, everyone up for it. I can't wait to get into the stadium and witness it. And Rapid Vienna, um, as as Alex mentioned there, James, not had their troubles to seek domestically themselves. Uh, they were sitting ninth and sacked their coach at the weekend, ninth in a 10-team league. Very, very poor form recently. However, in the Europa, they've qualified and they won their opening match. So... Uh, Although you look at the domestic form and you say, well, look, they're playing really badly, there is, of course, the, the, the side of the argument that sometimes Europe offers a, a break from that. We saw it with Paul Le Guin at Rangers all those years ago, that sometimes it gets you away from that grind and, and the players get an extra spring in their step. But as Alex said, one of the reasons I'm confident is I think they'll come out and have a go. And I think that suits us. And I think that with the crowd behind us, that's why I'm very confident. I can't really argue with any of the points that you've made in terms of how rapid they're going to play. They're going to want your new manager there. He's going to want to try and impress, um, and I think we can take advantage of that. I think, I think Rapid Vienna are probably on a similar level as Maribor, and we are know that we have a squad that's more than capable of defeating them or at ninety minutes at Ibrox. So. I'm more confident in a win than anything else for for that game for sure. Uh, yeah, you're right that they've they've done very poor domestically. The win against Spartak, I would you know as much as yes, it's a good result to get. I have a feeling that Spartak might be one of these teams that they're going to win all their home games, but do really poorly in all their away games, which again bodes quite well for us because I think we would take that. Um, it's a very Russian so, thing, that isn't it? You you see that replicated yeah. r- with many other teams in Europe. Absolutely, and I think that I wonder what Spartak advantages. Yeah, I wonder what advantages Russian teams can get in Russia. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, extra vodka, uh, extra vitamins, yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I think I think that's. I think that's worth bearing in mind when we think about, you know, rapid yeah. Listen, the minute to the Europa League, they're not going to be mugs. Um, yeah, that's that's for certain. But I think that there's, I think that there's every chance that we can get the result. And the fact that they've sat the manager at the point that they have, uh, I think is something we can take advantage of as well. So no, I'm confident. And yeah, like you said, I'm so excited for getting to the stadium, big European night again. The tune, they keep changing the Europa League theme tune every year. It's not like the Champions League where it's the same one that you know, but they, they keep kind of making it a bit more kind of funky each year. They, well, they try to anyway, so um, I don't really know what the name of that is, but as Alex said, you're not going to be able to hear it because everyone is going to be screaming at that point, myself included, of course. They should balance it out because, as we all know, the Champions League theme is called Zadok the Priest. So they should balance it out by calling this one something like Big Billy the Orangeman. I think. Yes, that seems fair. Yeah. Actually, you know, in two years, I'm going to play the heart and hand theme tune. <laughs> there we go, yeah. It's a nice wee jaunty, recognisable tune. Alex, yeah. I think that you and I are, are the type of people who both would say, no, Europe is very important in this year, especially the, the money that we'll make from it was huge. Can't make that in Scotland. It's great. But... Even with all that said, and I'm looking forward to it, I've really enjoyed our run. Love the fact we've got another five games in it. Two fixtures this week at Ibrox. That one ain't the priority for me. No, it's not. Um, 
you're right. The, the strongest team needs to be played against Hearts. Uh, if, if you feel as though there is a discernible difference between your strongest team and a slightly rotated team, the strongest one needs to be played against Hearts. Um, I hope that we go out and play well against Rapid Vienna. I hope that whoever starts that game gives Gerard a real headache. But if you had a choice between, you know, just just for just as a kind of example, a talking sake, if you felt to yourself, I can only play Daniel Candace in one of those matches. I'm going to have to bring in Glenn Middleton to start. Um, Middleton won't be able to offer as much as Candace overall, so I'll play Middleton against Vienna. That would be my thinking. Um, I know that. Uh, I'm, I'm like yourself, you know, I, I, I kind of find Europe very important in terms of the financial aspect. I'd like to see us do well because I think that accelerates our, our kind of growth and reputation back to where it should be more than, than winning the league would, actually. Um, not that I would pick it over that, but you, you get my meaning. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I think that uh, if, he, if he has to, if, he, if, if Gerald feels as though he couldn't play the same 11 in both matches, needs to rotate and, and does believe that there's certain players that are a bit weaker in that, then the Rapid Vienna game is the one where we will go slightly uh, weaker than, than the Hearts match. I certainly that would be the choice I'd make. Yeah, and I think that most of us, most of us would. So we now move on to uh, our, our Everything Old is New Again and our new section where we look around the world of football to see... Oh, we didn't talk about the coin thrower. Sorry, my fault. Have to cover... <laughs> well, at the, the old yellow pages, we're not just here for the nice things in life, we're here for the nasty, as I think today's whole pod has proven. And we have to talk about the coin-throwing incident that happened yesterday where linesman was hit by a coin thrown from the Rangers' end. Some arsehole, I don't want to spend too long on it because one person cannot be representative of an entire support and he isn't. This isn't something our fans do a lot, thankfully. And while I think with some justification, Rangers fans can point to when people criticise us for this, which they will because it's a stick to beat us with and when people are looking to beat us, then they'll take any stick that's offered. But James, you, we can't be, can't be having that. No, it's just... It's disgraceful behaviour for anyone to throw anything on a field, um, especially with the intention of trying to trying to hit someone, which clearly that is. Um, in these circumstances, it's very it's it's rare that they actually make a connection, and very sadly on this occasion it has. I think the linesman took it very well. Um, to be fair to him, he just kind of got got always got treated, got on with things, but. I really hope that the person who did throw the coin is found is severely fined and possibly even further. And I hope he's never allowed back at Ibrox again. Frankly, it's just it, that's not a kind of thing that you do where you get where you get a second chance. You know, that's that's something that you shouldn't be allowed back at a football ground for, um, in my opinion, because you know. The, it could it could be a lot more serious than what actually happened, um, and you have to set a precedent. And I'm glad to see that every Rangers fan that I've that I've seen kind of mentioning it has been of the same opinion as me. That is just frankly reprehensible, and the guys should absolutely be done for it. Alex, yeah, can't disagree with any of that at all. Um, I, I've been kind of thinking about this today because I mean I sit in the enclosure now. Uh, and I'm not too close to the pitch where I sit, but I know people who are. 
I'm not entirely convinced I know anybody who's ever had the urge to do anything, even at, you know, opposing players or anything like that. Um, and I looked at the situation again. Obviously, you know, you'd seen a bit of a replay. At the time, you know, my memory of it was that something had happened in the corner. Um, Candace and one of the Livingston players having a wee bit of a go at each other. You know, it's a daffy argument that Candace likes to do. Um, and I thought that, you know, this had been driven by that and the linesman had just kind of copped it. But then when I watched the replay, I was like, huh. It wasn't anything close to that at all, was it? You know, that, that incident had passed. The game was moving on. And I'm not entirely sure why the linesman was targeted, if he was. Um, well, he was. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, it was just kind of strange. Yeah, I, I don't understand why, though. Um, I'll, start, I'll say this, right, and I don't mean to make light of it, but Jesus Christ, what a shot, right? Oh, absolutely, you know, yeah. Moving target and all that. Um, it's James. Uh, like, it, the thing is, the problem is that it's, it's had to happen for it to, to be a thing, right? You shouldn't be throwing anything on the pitch regardless whether you hit someone or not. Um, unfortunately, this has had to happen for it to be to be highlighted. I think the Rangers are Rangers fans sorry, are very, very good at self-policing. I think that's something that we do very well. Um, and I think that, you know, whoever this was, whether it was a drunken mistake or out of character or whatever, um, I think they'll be identified. I hope they just take it, you know, like a man just go, right, okay, I made that mistake. What's my punishment for it? And everybody gets to move on from that. Uh, I don't imagine the Rangers fans will kind of try and hide this guy away anywhere or anything like that. That's not the way that we we tend to do this. So, um, so yeah, it's a it's, it's a real shame. Um, and unfortunately, just kind of uh, you just the, the second you saw it on the TV, you're just like, oh, there you go. That's that's a story for the next however many days. You know, that's what we've got to be firefighting and talking about for so long. And there's so many other things that we should be talking about, and it just, um, yeah, it wouldn't mind just a couple of months of nothing like that, you know, um, just uh, no, no strip controversies, no coins being thrown, nothing at all. Um, and we could talk about the football for a while, it would be lovely. It would be very pleasant indeed. Okay, let's move on then to look around the world of football to see who has made the biggest dick of themselves over the past seven days. Uh, obviously, the, the coin thrower would be in it, but we like to to look wider than that and see who has said something or done something that is so utterly stupid that it should have come from the mind of John Hartson. Yes, it's Hartson of the week. So we will go first of all to you, young Hames. Who do you think deserves this week's award? So I was having a good look through trying to make this as international as possible and I would like to take you gentlemen on an adventure to the wonderful world of Egyptian football. Uh, more specifically to the chairman of Zamalek Club, who used to be managed briefly by our own Alex McLeish, yes. uh, on the side note. Um, Mortada Mansour, he has been given a fine of 40,000 US dollars for verbally attacking the CAF, officials CAF being the African version of UEFA. Uh, the new president uh, is a man called Ahmad Ahmad, and he, you know, he's also an Egyptian has links to Zamalek's rival club, Al-Ahli, which is a very big rivalry between the two. And he's basically said both he and the new General Secretary, Amr Mustafa Fami, uh, are drunken drug sniffers uh, who had insulted who had insulted Zamalek. He also wants them to carry out blood tests so that, you know, if to make sure that they are fit for the job which I still don't quite understand because it's a secretary role. How could they possibly, 
you know, what kind of drugs would they take to, you know, to help with that at all, I don't quite get. Um, and also says that it was Ahmed's father who denied Zamalek the role of club of the century and instead giving it to rivals Al Ahly. When he was given this uh, fine and also basically a year's ban from any calf um, competitions, he basically said, I don't care with this decision and I will reply in time anyway. I don't attend any calf matches, which I think is, again, quite strange because, well, surely a Zamalek playing in Africa, that is a calf match. So he seems a bit of you know, a 66-year-old guy, the chairman. If you get a picture of him, you kind of think, ah, yeah, I kind of get where <laughs> all this is coming from as well. I kind of get why you act like that. So check out that story. Mortada Mansour, Egyptian football, is a bit of a nutcase, and he is my candidate for Hearts of the Week. Alex? Can I just start by saying there's just three things from James's story there. Firstly, I don't see her beating that one, right? Anyway, secondly, I love the naivety that James expects drug tests and drug taking to only be performance enhancing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> any secretary I know who takes drugs the, is not way, looking yeah. to enhance her performance. <laughs> but well, how does that? How does that? Like, because just in the sporting context, it kind of seems all like to want to take drug tests, but like. If, if they have taken like cocaine and that, I'm a bit like, okay, but yes, that's not good, but does that really affect their, does it make them better at their job? No, like, but it, so it, 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 it can make them significantly worse, James. Uh, I yes. think put it put it this way: if if you are asking a secretary to come in and do a bit of dictation, and they are absolutely off their tits on some decent Charlie. The accuracy of said letter is going to be questionable. <laughs> yeah. Surely that's a surely that's a good thing for him then as well. That's the other thing I'm gonna. Uh, but I get yes, I know I live in a I live in a bubble of happiness when it comes to things like that, and not in that yeah. way. Yes, a bubble yeah. of ignorance. And, yeah. yes. <laughs> and just very lastly, uh, and just very lastly, when you consider James, what yeah, you know, part of what you do for a living, uh, that you are able to identify crazy old men by their picture. It is really not a surprise at all, is it? No. Um, no. <laughs> but uh, but my, my story then just won't compare whatsoever. Um, is with refer- in reference to a sporting uh, B player called Rafael Barbosa, who was on loan at Porto Monenzi. And I say was on loan until this weekend, where his team, I believe they only drew the match. Now, I can't quite tell, but I believe they only drew two each. And for some reason, after the match, the Porto Menenzi um, chairman, uh, Rodney Sampaio, decided to headbutt this boy. Um, and absolutely no one knows why. No one, uh, including Barbosa, has any clue why. He was talking to the owner of the game after the game and got nutted. <laughs> uh, so, so there. Um, now, the, what, what tickled me most about this story was the thought that, David, who did you want to headbutt Russell Martin last season while he was in loan at us? Pretty much anybody. <laughs> I kid, I right? kid, before I end up in the sun, I'm joking, I'm joking. I, I, uh, can I, I just... Story, yeah, can I just <laughs> state for the record, I did not want Dave King to nut Russell Martin. But had it happened... Yeah, no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm only going to get in trouble here. Um, I've got one. I'll, I'll also go a bit wild. I'll go to uh, Ethiopia, where Walwalo Adrigat, 
or Walwalo Adigat University coach Maru Getbrat Sadiq was sacked for beating up a referee during a match. The club said that players who joined in were warned later about their ethics. The official used a corner flag to defend himself from the mob. <laughs> and uh, afterwards, uh, Maru Getbrat Sadiq said, he has no balls. I knew he was a cheat and picking up the corner flag rather than taking his beating like a man tells you that. <laughs> so I think the word is unrepentant. <laughs> I think we can safely say. Um, I love though a team so behind their coach that they joined in and the, the yeah. linesman bolted. Uh, the referee bolted to the corner flag. His linesman didn't join in, by the way. His team didn't help. No, they were happy to let him get to do it. They, get away, but right? he ran and he got the corner flag to sort of ward them off. Remember Gladiators? It was like that yeah. as he was trying to kind of force them away from him. But a few got through. I'm just imagining, I'm just imagining now, end of season, we've, well, we won the league about eight weeks prior to it. John Beaton's a referee at Ibrox and we just got, do you know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. <laughs> yeah, well, why not? He's over uh, the corner in the, Govan, in the Govan East End. He's there with his corner flies. Uh, uh, I'm going to really enjoy thinking about that tonight. Well, I'll give it to James. <laughs> not in that way. Very good, my friend. I'll give it to James. So congratulations, James. Your guy has made the biggest <laughs> total heartsin of it this week. Right, folks, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back on Friday this week because we're playing on Thursday with Heart and Hand Extra. Meanwhile, please check out our Patreon site, patreon.com forward slash heart and hand, where you will get up to five, five shows every single day on mostly Rangers, but also other types of football, such as Serie A and uh, the English Premiership. You name it, we cover it if it's to do with football. And uh, if you are, in fact, interested in that, it's just one ninety nine per month. Just one ninety nine per month. Honestly, I'm giving it away. And it's full of great content. If you want to read a little bit more from the Heart and Hand Poddles, then go to our website, heartandhand.co.uk, where you'll find blogs going up every day, really, on all things Rangers. And you'll also be able to purchase some stuff from us. We had our first live show at Ibrox Stadium this Friday night uh, or the last Friday night there which went wonderfully thoroughly enjoyed it and we're back this Friday but if you want that show is sold out but if we want if you want to see us you can come and see us in Kilwinning my hometown the prod Eagle Sun returns um, to do a show there we're also heading over to Northern Ireland next month uh, tickets are available if you just search ticket source heart and hand that's ticket source heart and hand up will pop the tickets please buy them and uh, you can come see the live show all that remains for me to do is thank our executive producers in london mr mike lee and paul miles and my two lovely guests today first of all mr alexander staff thank you gentlemen pleasure this week's total hearts and winner mr james forrest uh, I, I should feel more proud of that than what maybe the title of it probably suggests but yes thank you very much gentlemen uh Difficult chat, but always nice to chat to the pair of you. Yes, and we will be back on Friday, hopefully with a much more upbeat pod after a European victory. Until then, take care. Speak soon. Bye. Podcast Network.